In episode 42 of The Business of Lifting Weights, we go deep in analyzing our own churn percentage throughout the eight years of operation to figure out what actually impacts our attrition rate. We revealed that some major decisions and operational events were clearly impacting our churn more than random variants, and it took a zoomed out lens to realize what they were. All right, welcome back to episode 42 of The Business of Lifting Weights. My name is Brian Pritz. I'm Dave Thomas. And we are owners of Performance 360 in San Diego. Um, Today we are going to go over churn. So I believe that this is kind of a a weird topic in the industry because nobody is willing to give uh, their own numbers and it's kind of hard to figure out what is a good churn percentage in the fitness industry. Um, so today we're going to give our numbers, um, our exact numbers over the years, and that way you can compare your numbers to those and kind of see where you stand. Um, but I, it, you know, we've we've looked around a lot for this, and I feel like we've come across so many different numbers. In your opinion, like are those numbers that we come across accurate? Do you think people are lying about them? What's the deal? I mean, Google like gym retention rate, and I dare you to do that and get some Ooh. sort of an answer. It's just the most convoluted. I don't know if it's because people don't share data. Um, you can't find anything from CrossFit because they're not a franchise. Mm-hmm. So they don't collect that. I'm sure they do in some sort of level. Um, but I've never been able to find it anywhere. If it exists and you know it, please share it with us. Um, I've heard on podcasts that um, I think we've mentioned this before that the industry average is about 10%. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would lean towards believing that just in like casual conversations here and there with other people. Um, so I really have no idea what the industry average is, but I think the important thing is knowing what your average is. Um, like we have an idea of where we've been over the past eight years and then the improvements that we've made, what those have done to our numbers. So I think the important takeaway is for listeners knowing what their churn rate, uh, how many members cancel in a year, in a month, um, and then focusing on improving that is, I think it's safe to say in both our opinions, like the single biggest way to immediately improve your profitability. And there's obviously two sides of the coin. There's the getting new members and new trials and all that stuff. Um, But the kind of easiest way, like you said, to impact that bottom line is just do a better job of keeping your current members because that's way easier than trying to get, um, you know, an extra 10 trials a month or, or whatever. As we're talking today, uh, our numbers, we go by a monthly attrition rate. So um, all these numbers that we use today um, that we're talking about with our business is monthly. Um, Just keep that in mind because obviously that makes a big difference. Yeah, we were talking about just kind of outlining this episode and how we did things so differently when we first opened. Um, And then, you know, we talked about doing a podcast based all around like how our strategies overall have changed from growing and getting to a point of sustainability to then like switching gears and now how do we keep it going at that same level because we were entirely growth focused for the first three four years of business we didn't even like really think about churn um and i think you know because we were kind of so obsessed over refining the process we got lucky and we had good churn right out of the gates but we were more much more concerned with growing and adding members than we were um, focused on keeping them. Like it, it sounds bad, but like we were focused entirely on growth and we were just kind of hopeful that the results and the experience would keep people. 
Yeah, which looking back on it, I actually, we didn't know it at the time, but I think that is the right way to go. Um, I think, you know, it's almost like a startup culture. It's like you're not trying to make money as a startup. You're just trying to grow and get your name out there and get as, acquire as many customers as possible. And I think that that's an extreme case of the, the gym culture, but the same kind of rules apply where you want to be focused more on growth uh, than churn if you have to pick between the two. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you want to hopefully have them be... Uh, you know, both working at the same time. But um, as we'll go over in this episode and kind of as we laid this out, as gym owners, a lot of times when you're starting out, you're in the day-to-day running the classes. So, like, you don't have time to do um, as much as you do once you step aside and remove yourself from that day-to-day. Um, and once we did that, we'll kind of go over our numbers when we get there. But it's it's pretty cool to see the, the change there. Yeah. Um, we always talk about about how we learn something whenever we organize notes and we basically just spent a half an hour creating like a one page churn snapshot and so many things that we did that we (laughs) didn't even really realize had such a huge impact. Um, So it was cool to learn those and share them. But uh, 2011, that was the year that we opened. So we opened in Mission Beach and we opened in um, a little converted boathouse. So if you listen to the show, you are aware of that story, but bring you up to speed, like no exposure at all whatsoever. It was isolated on, on a literal peninsula. Um, and a lot of pros went along with that as we basically had like a private, almost like beachfront gym. Yep. Um, but it definitely presented its challenges to getting customers. So we were really aggressive in growth. We opened in April of 2011. So we had, what's that, maybe eight months of that year to build up membership. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was coincidentally or not coincidentally, our highest month, our, excuse me, our highest year ever of churn. We were at 6.8% for the year 2011. So why don't you talk a little bit about kind of why we think that is and what was going on then? Um, well, like you mentioned, we were a new business. We, in my opinion, I think that we had not established an identity, <clears throat> excuse me, an identity for ourselves yet. Um, we were solely focused on growth and price so we were doing discounts all the time our workouts were uh, 45 minutes or the classes were 45 minutes so the workouts themselves were less than that Uh, we got people in and we kicked them out immediately to get that next next class up and running Um, but most importantly we were still navigating the fitness industry and who we were in that fitness fitness industry so at no point were we anywhere near we near where we are now with like knowing exactly who we are. So we were trying a lot of different things. We were experimenting with a lot of different things. A lot of stuff was random. I remember our first promo video was like, I would just cringe if I, if was that put, the one we hired the company to do? Yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we had some cringe worthy uh, stuff. We should out probably there. share that. <laughs> I, that might even be deleted off the face of the earth. I, I, I saw it like a month ago. <laughs> I, I watched it and I was just like, Oh my God. We were drinking beer in the fit, in the fitness <laughs> promo. Um, but yeah, you know, long story short, we we were still finding who we were. And when you don't know who you are and you don't have that clear vision and that clear mission, then other people don't know who you are and other people are not going to kind of latch on and, and go with you. I remember that video now. It was I remember the direction because we, we had them film it during our grand opening party. Yeah. And it was like, we want you to include like a quick snapshot of like people hanging out and like eating food and drinking, showing beer. that it's social. And yeah. they they 
they made it almost like the highlight of the video. <laughs> so it was like a beer club that act, that also did fitness. Yep. Oh god, that's a great video. I gotta watch that again. Oh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I totally agree. So many things that you're throwing against the wall, and we definitely had our core. We had our core philosophy as far as like you know we wanted to be about group fitness. We wanted to build that community. We wanted to build the camaraderie. But we were also, you know, feeling out what that fitness was going to be like. You know, I was a brand new trainer and coach at the time. And like every single place, you learn so much about fitness and so many different movements and ways you can incorporate better programming. So those first few years, like I definitely would say were a giant kind of work in progress, Mm -hmm. basically from 11 to 2012, 13, all those years. Um, So... I know we definitely were presented with our, our challenges of retention in those first eight months because our price was so low in that founder's deal that we had people taking a total flyer on it that'll be like, yeah, I'll, I'll check it out. It's, right. it's so cheap. And then, you know, we, we grew very well as a result of that and kept a ton of people, but we also had a lot of people that, you know, quickly bailed or came once or twice and it just wasn't for them. So, yeah, like you said, 2011, 2012, 2013, basically our first three years in business. I kind of lump all those together, like you mentioned, where um, the workouts were shorter, the classes were shorter. Um, We kind of discussed that we, as a whole, it was inferior coaching. Um, I don't think that the, the level of coaching is anywhere near what it is now. And it was more just um, somebody there to designate the workout and put you through the workout. It wasn't as much individual coaching and knowledge behind what we're doing and all that. So I definitely think that was a big part of it. And then the random approach. So we didn't have structured blocks. We didn't have micro cycles. We didn't have macro cycles. We didn't have any of that. So I'm just going to label that as more random approach to fitness. So that was 2011, 2012, 2013. And if you look at our numbers, like Dave said, our highest churn percentage was that first year in 2011 of 6.8 and then 2012 we dropped that down to 5.4 and 2013 we got down to 4.20 so obviously a pretty sharp uh, decrease from 6.8 to 4.2 over the course of three years and you know do you think that anything during those first three years can be attributed to that Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, we got, we got better at what we were doing. We got better at running the business. We got better at, you know, um, how to help people on board. We still had zero onboarding process, which I know we'll get into. Uh, we got better at coaching. We got better at communicating the workouts, everything about what we were doing just started to slowly, slowly improve. Right. And there's no single change that we made over those three years to go from 6.8 to 5.4 to 4.2 except just continuing to refine your craft. Like you want to go with, you know, the whole 10,000 hours approach of, you know, becoming an expert at something at 10,000 hours. Like you start to accumulate and working up to those 10,000 hours in those first three, four years. Um, And you start to obviously get better output and you start to retain people much better. Yeah. And we talked a lot about how, you know, you and I were running the majority of classes through 2011 through 2015 uh, we got the gym membership up to be almost 600 people within that time frame. Um, where we really dominated the schedule was in 2011 to 2013, where we got up to 410 members in two years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a lot to be said for that. The owner-operator um, 
model can be highly successful. You know, I have a, a pretty strong personality when I'm in that position of like being the coach. Um, you're an extremely relatable, likable guy. So there's, you know, it's not surprising to me that we were able to kind of use our personalities to grow the gym, but that's also inherently self-limiting, right? Right. Not everybody was going to be into me as a coach. Not everybody was going to be into the way that we ran the gym or did that. And when we're, we're pretty much the only experience that people have with it, we had a couple other coaches, but we dominated that schedule. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a trade-off of it really helps you grow, but it also is puts an immediate governor on just what you can do from a churn perspective, from a growth perspective, because it's always all about your personality and not like the actual gym. Right. So I do think there's an element of that 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 makes you successful initially, but you have to you have to get out of the way at some point and let your business be the best that it can be, rather than just an extension of yourself. Right. Okay. So those first three years, um, you know, we'll call that we just got better at our craft because we didn't really make any major changes during that time. Um, you know, move on to 2014, I would say was our initial big first it's like step. chapter two. Yeah. Chapter two. Um, so that's when we opened our second location. Uh, now we refer to it as our crown point location. Um, talk a little bit about that open, um, what that did to the numbers and kind of the effect in the gym as a whole. Yeah, that was huge. I mean, we got to uh, the point where we had 489 members in 1,800 square feet. So we could not physically continue to operate with just one gym to, number one, provide the quality we wanted to, to provide and also to continue to grow. So we added the second gym in Crown Point. Now, this is in the same town. It's basically like over the bridge. Um, so it was an extension of our current gym. It wasn't like we're opening up in another right. town and building that membership. So when we opened Crown Point, we basically had half our membership immediately go to that gym. Right. So it was obviously a very easy way to fill with members. Um, but that what that did is it immediately diluted the culture, diluted the experience, and it diluted the perception of like that super concentrated experience. Like, yeah, the gym was crowded, but it had awesome energy in that yep. 1800 square foot gym. So when you take that, cut it in half, you, all of a sudden you're giving people 50% of that experience. Right. So we went through some massive struggles with that. You know, the perception of, you know, you're growing, you've sold out, it's different, all that stuff. You know, we kind of ran into that. Um, and so, yeah, we, our numbers were not, were not that great. In the first year that we opened, we were at 4.6%. So still pretty good. Um, but we had that huge membership bump when we opened Crown Point that took us up to um, about 560 members now. And then I think we saw in 2015 where, okay, people now had about six months of the two gym experience. Then we start to see churn start to increase. We had a lot of trouble with quality control. We were not good managers at that point because mm -hmm. we were still like, we were still involved in the coaching and we didn't really know what to look for. We were very young and green business owners still at that point, especially now with two gyms. So we just didn't run that great of a process. And we saw churn jump up to 5.4% in 2015. Yeah, I, I think this is a, a big kind of learning point for a lot of people because two points. Number one is... You know, we we went from an extremely crowded gym, which could be looked as at negatively, but it also can be a positive, where everybody 
is in there sweating together, close space, a little bit more intimate. Um, and so then when you all of a sudden cut that in half and the classes are not as full and you may normally work out with all these people that you know and then they're they're working out at the other gym and you're still here and it's like you lose that camaraderie. And so point being, I see a lot of gyms market the small class as a positive, which I don't disagree with. You know, that's more one-on-one coaching. That's more attention, all that stuff. But be careful of promoting a lesser vibe, if you will, a lesser energy, lesser vibe, because um, we have a little bit of an issue with that with Ocean Beach, where we opened up in a much bigger facility than we have in in uh, Pacific Beach, and it feels at times a little bit empty, and I, I don't think that that's a positive. Um, we've actually talked about trying to narrow that space a little bit to make it feel a little bit smaller so that the people that are in there, and I mean, they're good size classes. It's not like there's two or three people in those classes. You know, there's 15 to 20 people in there, um, but it just feels less intimate um, and l- there's just less energy going on at, at some points because of that. So I would be careful to, number one, open up in a facility that's too big for what you want to do right now. Um, you talked about it where you have to grow into that business. Everybody's different when they open to where they are three years, five years, 10 years down the road. So don't look too far ahead and try and start your business ahead of where you are. Um, and number two, you know, get people in those classes. Don't market it as like two to three people in a class as a great thing because most people don't like that. Most people love the energy and the vibe of working out with a group of other people. Yeah. I would also say like, don't be so quick to think you need more space. I yeah. would really like burst at the seams before thinking about moving a space or adding another space. Yeah. Um, I'm, we're, we're both very big believers on the class energy, and there's no doubt that then going to that second gym, all of a sudden cutting those classes in half, a little lower energy, all of a sudden it's like 10 to 13 people in class, and people just weren't as into it. Yeah. And it, you know, it felt like it was, it felt like it was a reduction in the experience and not an increase in right. it. Like that excitement of that growth is supposed to be. Right. And we added a ton of new members. It was very successful in that regard. But we had a hard time keeping folks because right. all of a sudden we have twice as many classes on the schedule. So it's, you know, we got to train twice as many coaches. And like I said, we were not very good at that at that point. So, um, yeah, there's, there's, there's no doubt in hindsight of why that churn jumped up immediately to that uh, 5.4% in 2015. Basically a year after we had that second location makes a lot of sense. And then in combination with that, we also moved <laughs> our quote headquarter location right our original location. so we moved from that 1800 square feet facility into pacific beach the next town over um it's kind of complicated geographically but we basically moved within the same town yeah and that happened the year after we opened the second location so just a shit ton of things going on from that 2014 to 2015 added a gym moved the home gym all of a sudden we have two gyms that people have never been to that they're getting used to it's new locations we all know how much human beings love change and we basically just (laughs) pulled the rug out completely from the performance 360 experience in about 18 months and in addition to that, because we had that new location and generated a lot of interest and we did have that influx of new members, in addition to all the changes, all of a sudden there's all these new faces that you don't know. So it's 
a little bit tricky on that on that realm too. And then to top it all off, 2015 was when you and I actually came off the schedule as the majority coach, mm-hmm. essentially. Um, so I'm sure that played a large role into it. So kind of to put it in perspective, we were re- we were going down in churn for three years, and then we made all these kind of big changes. And for the first time in our business life, churn started to increase. And I remember being very worried about that. Mm-hmm. And I think that was when we started to, um, as we came off the schedule as full-time coaches, that was when we really started to be able to focus on churn and say, let's let's make this better. Yep. Yeah. It was like we had the second location and all of a sudden we're like, why, why are we losing? Why are we losing more members? Yep. Like this should be better now. You know, we, I remember going back to that. It's like, you know, people are going to love this. It's smaller class sizes. So people are going to get more attention. And I think we've always done a, a good job of giving people attention in class, regardless of the size. Right. So I don't necessarily think that attention went up because of the smaller group. Right. It was just like, it wasn't as exciting. Right. Um, and all those factors definitely played a part in that huge reduction in churn. And the turning point, you mentioned it a little in the beginning, was 100% when you and I said, we're coming off the schedule yep. full time. And that's always a huge adjustment for owner operators because people are used to coming to the gym to see you. They associate the gym with you in kind of one breath. So when that happens, it's always a major stressor for for the membership and just stressor for the overall experience so what we found is because at that point we had such a good core group of coaches that were coming up underneath us that that process was made i think more seamless than if we hadn't planned for that right but really what that did was lay the foundation for 2016 to where we are now to put basically that chapter three in place, like all those amazing tools that we have now with our training and our coaching and our organization to have really, really reduced churn in a noticeable way every single year since 2015. Yeah, it's pretty crazy as we, as we were writing these notes and going over all of these changes and stuff that we made, we found that us coming off the schedule probably had the single largest effect on churn and the business of, oh, there's, of, of anything else. There's no doubt. I mean, just to give kind of like that quick rundown again, we went from 6.8% to 5.4% to 4.2 to 4.6. Then we shot back up to 5.4%, highest we've ever been. At that point, we came off the schedule. And then every year since then, we've been 5%, 4.9%, 4.3%, and now 3.5%. So it's taking ourselves out of that like constant um, scurry of that just micro, like the hustle of the daily. Like I'm going to the gym, I'm going to coach. Okay. I have two free hours. I'm going to go eat some lunch, take a nap evening time. I'm going to go back to the gym, coach some more. And then maybe at the end of the day, like get to some work that's working on the business. Right. And there's a reason why we lost a ton of people with that way. So by taking us out of that, hustle and then into, nope, all we're doing now is running the gym. How can we make the gym better? Right. What processes can we place? Can we put in place? How can we support our coaches? Um, so we started to get that a little bit settled in 2016. We were just a little bit better at helping the coaches, at managing. Um, people got a little bit more settled into the new space and we came down from that 5.4% to 5.0% in 2016. 
Yeah, so that takes us into 2017 once we started to be able to implement a lot of the stuff that we were working on now as business owners rather than coaches. Yeah, it's um, kind of like chapter three, if you will. Yep, chapter three. Um, so in 2017, some of the big things that we implemented, uh, number one was what we call our phase one program, um, and that's essentially our beginner program. So we experimented with a few different names, a few different concepts. Ultimately, we landed on this phase one program, which still exists today and is a major, now more uh, prominent part of what we do than when we started it. Um, but that's essentially breaking the workout into three levels. Phase one, or beginner, um, our all level and our advanced side of the board. So we were able to structure those workouts to be able to hit multiple types of people through scaling, through uh, modifications and all of that so that um, we basically are able to attract a larger group of people and provide more one-on-one -on -one or uh, personal attention to those people. Yeah, it was when we really first, and it's crazy to think that we waited five years to do this, but <laughs> um, that's when we first kind of had that aha moment of like, oh, you keep people better by not worrying about where they are in the second year of their membership. You set yourself up to keep people by how you treat them in the first seven days of the yep. membership. And we'll get into that more once we get to 2019. Uh, but that's when we like very, very first had that thought of like, okay, we need to fix how people come into the gym just a little bit. Now, it's important to also understand we've never been believers in going to a foundations class. Yep. We had it for a couple of months, absolutely hated it. Yep. We, for a number of different reasons, we don't like forcing people to come to a 7.30 p.m. class on a Tuesday night that nobody wants to show up for, and they inherently show up, and they're not in that good of a mood. Right. We believe in integration, not isolation, so we want new folks to come to class to see people who've been there for years. We want them to meet people, we want them to be inspired by it, and we want it to be high energy. So... You know, it's not like we felt like we were missing this big, like, oh, we should add foundations classes. The phase one is part of our, all of our other classes. Yep. So it took us a while to, like, figure out how can we integrate that. Um, but once we did, we saw just obviously a huge, huge immediate impact on the numbers. Yeah, just to touch on that foundations program, when we ran that for a few months, our membership joins really stalled. Um, and I, I believe strongly that that's because people want to jump right into classes they don't like you said they don't want to have a separate time that they have to come and pay extra money to get personalized attention outside of class like people don't want that and that was clearly shown through the numbers that we experimented with so we scrapped that relatively quickly um, we did give it a chance and then we scrapped it and moved on to our phase one program and so far, it has worked out tremendously better from both a new member standpoint and from an operations standpoint. Like I remember, you know, the the couple months that we ran that, like that was a a nightmare from a structure from yeah. a back end structure standpoint. Yeah, it was no good. Um, so we went all those phase one changes. They took us from five point zero five percent down to four point nine three percent. In addition to a lot of that stuff, we also started to take um, our actual training a lot more seriously. We yep. started to structure it. We started to regiment it. There were a couple of big changes that happened in 2017 that really laid the foundation for that chapter three. Um, that's when we got rid of like the random training approach. Yep. So uh, we had followed the model of like, you know, different workout every single day. Um, 
you know, no week is the same as the next, whatever you want to call that, random, constantly varied, whatever your, your language is. That was our model, and we scrapped it. So we really felt at the time that this is evolving into something that people want more structure than that. Uh, we want if if we really want to energize membership and we got want to get people consistently bought in, let's have them progress in something for four to eight weeks at a time. So that was when we started doing like back squats every Monday for eight weeks or four weeks. We alternated eight week cycles and four week cycles, where we'd pick. Uh, two or three movements and focus on them for those four to eight weeks. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of the first step of structuring the workouts. Um, and we saw immediate, immediate positive feedback with that through the majority of our membership. Obviously not everybody loved it, but the majority did as evidenced by the numbers. Another huge change that we made in 2017, which uh, Julianne, our head coach suggested, which I personally think has been one of the more underrated game changers, mm -hmm is she said we should take coaches from coaching four classes at a time to two classes at a time. Mm -hmm. And you and I had never thought about that because we always coached four classes at a time because we had to. Right. Like we, we didn't have the payroll for coaches, so that's just kind of like the way that we grew up, if you will, coaching those four classes. And it's fucking exhausting, man. <laughs> it's so when exhausting. you're in that fourth class, you got nothing to give to the room. <laughs> yeah. So if you think that that doesn't impact churn, like if, if I'm somebody that comes at those end of the day classes, like I'm getting a substandard experience and through no fault of coaches, but it's just the energy and the demands of coaching in that realm four hours at a time is crazy. And top that off with, you know, at the end of a four hour night block, you're getting the people that are also tired coming yeah. in from a long day of work <laughs> Very or whatever, true. and they're coming in with no energy. So you match a coach with not a lot of energy left and members with not a lot of energy left. And it's just, it's a, you know, it's a poor experience. Yeah. Um, but we saw like, that was the first year that we got back under 5% because mm -hmm. since we opened the second gym and moved the first gym, we had two years where we were above 5%. Right. And I remember we were like, shit, man. Like, are we now going to be a, an above 5% gym? Like, this is going to change completely the way that we have to market and model right. and grow. And so by getting under 5% in 2017, we felt very, very positive that like, okay, we actually have total control over what these churn numbers are. Right. It's not just like the whims of people coming and going. We live in a super transient community, San Diego. People don't move here to settle. It's a it's a pass through in their life. They want to live at the beach for a few years. It gets very few long-term residents. So we didn't really know if we would ever be able to get to a certain level. So being back under 5% with 630 members, like we were pumped on. Yeah, absolutely. And then 2018 rolled around, which was last year. We're already there. Um, talk a little bit about what our numbers were in 2018 and some things that we had that kind of shifted that down even a little bit lower. Yeah. So first off, I'll go over what we did. Um, so we instituted a couple things on the back end that was more for staff team camaraderie. Um, and that was team coaching labs. And we also introduced coaching levels. So this has nothing to do directly with um, the operations of the front end of the gym with members, all that stuff purely just back end with our staff and it actually showed largely on the form of churn in our new members and current members staying longer so I, I think that's important to to point out that a lot of things that happen on the back end that you may think like oh we want to you know get more of a cohesive staff together we want to help the staff well that actually has a direct impact on membership, on churn, on growth, all that stuff. 
So team coaching labs, we meet once a month. Um, well, right now it's once, once every six-week block to coincide with our uh, programming, but it was uh, once a month. We got together. We went over things that we could get better at, uh, coaching cues. Um, we ate breakfast together, which uh, for me was always a terrible experience because every <laughs> single time my order got messed up and I'm very particular about my food, but we'll leave that out. Um, and then we also did the coaching levels. So we basically instituted a three-level coaching plan, um, and you kind of put that together. So I'll let you talk specifically more about that and kind of what that was all about. Yeah, I would just say last year, 2018, is when we really started to shift heavily into coach education, into coach support, and into creating a, a culture based around like professional coaching. And, you know, I'd love to say we had that philosophy for the first seven years. Like we did our best with it, but we, we weren't doing as good of a job as we could have been. Yeah. And this is when we took that seriously. We had a couple coaches quit because it was like, hey, this no longer aligns with how I want to coach. I don't want to come to these things every month. I can't come to these things every month. Right. So they, they left. And that was the idea of like, we're going to lose some coaches, but we are we know at the end of the day, we are going to be left with coaches that like really want to be here. Yep. So that was kind of the first step with it. And in those labs, yeah, we did all the things that you said. It was just about, you know, communicating better, having everybody on the same page with the experience. So I think that was a huge one is like, yes, we went over all the cues and like, here's how to welcome new people more. But everybody was doing the same thing because we got one message and it right. wasn't like over email and this person's helping you with that. So I think that was huge. And then with the coaching levels, similar to, you know, any sort of coaching certification where we had a level, we have a level one, a level two and a level three, and that's all in-house. And it's, it's pretty involved. Um, you know, you access new levels by the amount of classes that you coach, but also by proficiency. So coaches go through a quarterly review uh, where they're rated across a ton of different categories. Um, when you are eligible for say level two or level three, you have to complete a project. And that takes a couple of months. It takes in-class coaching. It takes outside of class, typing it up and showing progress and program design and assessment and modification. So it really not only obviously continues the coach's education, but it gets them just more excited about pursuing kind of a higher level and a higher standard for themselves. Yeah. So all of that nets out into a much better experience on the floor Members are getting better coaching. They're getting more coaching. They're getting a more positive experience. So it's no doubt that we saw that 4.9% from 17 go down again to 4.3% in 2018 because we focused 100% on the coaches in that 2018. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's pretty interesting when you look at that 4.3%, you know, going back, we had had one year of lower churn than that, you know, several years earlier. However, we were working under an entirely different model at this point with more members, more locations, um, so and we were off the schedule. So I think that was three, three big things that we were kind of going up against, and to be able to now bring churn back down to those levels was massive. And we'll talk about 2019 in a second and how we have now had the lowest year of churn um, ever even with those obstacles in mind. Yeah, that's a great that's a great point because in that 2013 where we got down <clears throat> to 4.2%, we had 400 members and one location. Yep. And so now to be at 4.3% 5 years later, 
another location with 650 members, I think is what, like we felt we were very, very happy about that because it once again substantiated that the more work we put into our team and the experience, the more we will impact this. It is a game that you have complete control over and isn't rigged against you. I hear so many gyms on podcasts talking about the difficulty of like, oh, people just leave here because like no one lives here type of thing. Like we can't keep members. That is bullshit. Like, yes, that is always going to work against you, but you're not going to find maybe short of New York City a more transient community than San Diego. And so we're able to affect these numbers where cancellations every month are still mostly made up of people moving. Um, So we still have that huge component and we're still able to affect it. And I think that's why that's a, that's a huge takeaway that I hope people are grasping is like the direct decisions you make are, are going to impact it. Yeah. So, you know, let's talk about 2019. Uh, this year so far has been great. Um, we have implemented some bigger things too, um, which is pretty crazy because we're now eight years into our business and we're still implementing massive changes. I think that's super unique in the sense that most gyms, they probably just operate and continue to operate like they always have. And if something is not working that well, you know, you might attribute it to, oh, you know, that's just the way it is. But um, I think that this shows that you can affect the numbers like by by working on it. Um, And 2019 has been some of the, the biggest, most impactful changes we've made. Yeah, it's been pretty crazy, man. Um, 2019 has been the best year we've ever had with retention. We're currently at about 3.5%. So I think in order to put that in true perspective, we need to back up to the end of 2018 Mm -hmm. where we got destroyed. Destroyed. So 16, 17, 18, we're all just trending down, down, down in retention. And then all of a sudden we hit the fourth quarter of 2018 and we got killed. We had the wor- <clears throat> excuse me, we had the worst quarter that we've ever had. Um, churn, I think, jumped up to like five and a half percent over those three months. And we had to take like a good hard look into why that was. Um, there's, you know, we'll be totally honest. There's no way to know exactly right. what that was. Um, we believe that we kind of got a little bit away from our like, every member counts philosophy of like when that person comes in the door, we have to be all about creating that great experience. Mm-hmm. We kind of got a little lazy with that. And then um, we, we've, we've since kind of tweaked our programming a little bit. We kind of let our programming at the end of last year, just be a little uninspiring in the fourth quarter. I think uh, the workouts were, um, you know, they weren't quite as challenging as they could be. They weren't quite as focused on hitting members needs and goals as much as they could have been. I think we were projecting, a little bit on the members and like doing things that we wanted to do a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've since kind of corrected and changed that. And in addition to some other things that we've done in 2019, we've been able to get the ship back on track, but that was, that was a really big kind of hiccup that led to all these things that we're now doing in 2019 to get that ship kind of moved again in the right direction. Yep. Um, so one of the first ones uh, we now do six week cycles. So we tested four, week cycles we tested eight week cycles and while i don't think that this was a major game changer in churn or anything like that i do think it is the right play moving forward and definitely does have some effect on that so um you know six week cycles it's it's pretty straightforward it gives people enough time to develop their goals and 
progress but not spending too much time on it where you get bored. Um, one thing to mention when we ditched the you know random fitness approach um, that, that you talked about, we we still implement that in our programming around the structure if that makes sense mm-hmm. so we have you know mondays uh this block are back squats so every monday we're doing back squats to some degree and then around that back squat um in a conditioning tier with accessory movements we're mixing that up so we're doing different stuff all the time so um it's not just like oh every monday is the same workout and you know for six weeks it is a combination of structure and randomized approach that i think is is the sweet spot yeah i mean i think a succinct way to put it would be that the strength work is structured and the conditioning work is random yeah perfect uh, yeah so that I, I agree the six weeks is the right way and then uh the first 90 campaign i personally think that's been a massive game changer is you know, one of the things we decided to do was at these coaching labs, we were vomiting out way too much stuff we wanted coaches to focus on. Yeah. You know, you would leave with like what felt like a checklist of like 10 things that you need to be concerned with. And one of the things that we decided to do in 2019 was we want to give the coaches one objective over the course of a quarter. Yep. Um, and the first one that we did this year was called our first 90. So talk a little bit about kind of what we're after with that first 90 so when somebody joins the gym, we found through all of our data numbers that the first 90 days is the most important part. You know, if they can get through 90 days coming consistently, getting a good experience, then they're going to be a member a lot longer than that on a consistent basis. So we really wanted to target those people and put a little bit extra effort into them. And that doesn't mean that you ignore everybody else, but it just means that you become hyper aware that these people are in their first 90 days and you just go a little bit further to make sure that they're having a good experience. Um, one of the things that we implemented from like a back end side that um, piggybacks onto this is um, in the back in our software, we actually tag members within their first 90 days so that when a coach pulls up the schedule to look at their class that day, they can see who is in their first 30 days, who is in their uh, 30 to 60 day window and who's in their 60 to 90 day window. So when you pull up a class roster, you can actually see like, wow, I have a lot of new members in this class or, oh, this is a really experienced class. I can, you know, skip over some of the the finer details that new members might need to know. And so that actually creates a better experience for the advanced members as well. Um, but so um, it was just creating a bit more emphasis and focus on new members in their first 90 days to make sure they have a good experience. Yeah, and it's it's been hugely impactful. We, we, we've been under 4% through the first quarter of the year where we have never done that before, never. and that's been the single biggest change. Um, so really, really just like aggressively hitting those new folks. I think another big thing that we decided to do is we changed the format and how we communicate as coaches, mm-hmm. and I think that has been just as impactful as that first 90. Absolutely. And the way that we used to do it was everything was front loaded. So the coach would give the walkthrough and they'd be going over the whole workout. And that walkthrough was about eight minutes long. And that's <clears throat> a long time for co- for people to be able to process everything. You know, coaches were going over what they were going to be doing 35 minutes from now. Right. And we broke that up. So we basically have three points of communication for our coachings, coaching staff right now. The beginning of the workout, the coach gives uh, the prep and the overall kind of purpose of the day, 
um, with the prep of the first tier. So usually that's like a strength tier if it's a two-tier day. Class does the workout. Come back halfway through the class, the coach will give the second prep for the second tier of the workout. All stuff that sounds super obvious that I know a lot of gyms do, right? Um, but we had never really done it that way. Um, and then at the end of the class, we do what's called closing the loop. So the coach brings the whole class together, talks about things that they felt in the gym, asks questions, makes it a dialogue collaborative effort. And it basically kind of forces members to realize all the positive things that they just did in right. class. It gets people talking. Um, so it's a really cool process. And what that does is it also creates members talking more. It creates members sticking around and, and talking after class. So uh, that's really helped as well um, in addition to that first 90. Yeah, as you were saying that, another thing that just popped into my head when you mentioned communication of workouts, we also slightly adjusted the actual communication of what's written and how the workouts are portrayed, um, either online or in person or whatever. We started to use um, more results-based terminology. So... Um, you know, what we found in our survey that we ran earlier this year was only 25% of our members are strength focused. And there is a much larger portion of the gym that are focused on aesthetics, general health, um, kind of the everyday gym goer. And we started to match some of our communication uh, terminology with that rather than, um, you know, saying this day is for strength and, um, you know, this day is for whatever. It was more generalized goal. So we started using aesthetics. We started using, this is for muscle, um, just kind of throwing out some terms that people could relate to a little bit more, whether, um, you know, if their goal wasn't just strength or conditioning. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that's been a very important part of the process is, you know, we talk about that self-awareness as one of the coaching traits that we looked for in the last episode mm -hmm. and it permeating the entire gym experience. But knowing who you're speaking to as a coach and what they actually want out of the class is often different than what you as the coach want. Right. So um, I think our coaches are a little bit more in tune with that now and able to kind of speak to the room a little bit better. It's still something that we continue to work on, but I think is definitely moving in the right direction and impacting those numbers. For sure. And then the last thing we did in 2019 was introduce team leaders. So our head coach, Julianne, was currently at about a 1 to 14 ratio with coaches underneath her. And by any management standard, they say 1 to 7 is like the max you should do. Mm -hmm. um, so we added Chris and Brenna, two of our longtime level three coaches underneath her, and they have a team of coaches that they um, give reviews to and feedback and um, communicate with on a regular basis. They've been killing that. Yeah. Um, so just giving the coaches more support, more voices they can go to um, has also played a factor in getting ourselves under that 4%. Yeah. Um, I was, you know, the team leader thing, I was a little bit unsure how that would go. Um, and in addition to the direct impact it's had on the coaches underneath each of those team leaders, it's, it's also had a dramatic impact on the team leaders themselves and kind of reestablishing why they're there and, you know, getting them involved in, in the gym and all that stuff. So it's, it's had kind of a twofold effect there. Yeah. I mean, Chris and Brenna have always been amazing at their own lane of just coaching their classes, mm -hmm. but now that they've been in that team leader role, like their proactivity in getting involved in other stuff has been like, I, I quite frankly, like didn't expect that. Yeah. Like they're, 
they're going to be so much more involved in our upcoming coach academy. Um, they're just like, they're super into their leadership position. They enjoy reviewing the coaches. I mean, we talked about, you know, scaling back how often they review a coach's class right. and um, they didn't really want to. It was like, they, they like that aspect of it. They like getting their hands on with it. Um, so it's just been really cool to see. Yeah. And some of the things that we actually didn't mention um, at any point during this podcast, but also did have an effect on, you know, churn and, you know, everything going on in the gym is um, pricing. We, we didn't mention pricing. Um, so that obviously plays a large role in a lot of different things in the gym. We've changed prices a lot. Um, while they've been relatively the same, we've kind of bounced um, trying out different things and, and different options. Yeah, um, I know. I know we also have a pricing episode lined up to talk about the right. various evolution of that. Um, but just the takeaway of that is through all of our various prices, we've never seen correlation really have a major impact on the churn. It's all about the experience once people get into the gym. Right. I think what bears mentioning is that like people think a higher price is often going to reduce churn. Mm -hmm. I agree with that so long as your market can truly support it. Right. One of the challenges we're struggling with in OB right now is OB has the same price as PB and it has way higher churn yep. because OB doesn't make as much money as PB. Right. So we're constantly looking at like, do we want to bring the price down a little bit to, incre to actually increase churn in that community? Right. Um, yeah. So we're actually planning on doing a pricing episode shortly um, all about our pricing and just kind of common pricing uh, strategies in the industry and how it's working. Um, but also a couple other things that we didn't mention during the, the episode is clubs and recognition and learning names, which I kind of lump all together. Um, talk a little bit about those because I know that you're a big believer in it, as as am I, um, and you've kind of set the foundation for how all that should work in the gym. Yeah, it's just about you know recognizing that people are in the gym as individual members. Um, the clubs is great because it gives people goals to shoot for. So we have strength clubs, conditioning clubs, and athleticism clubs that all have a level one through four based on various output. Um, and that's a really cool tool for people to be able to like want to stick around and advance human beings. They want to progress and stuff. So giving them tangible opportunities to that, you know, we have our club forge, which is like the highest level of performers for people that want to be in that. Yep. Um, and then stressing names. So that's been big from day one is learning people's names. If you don't know it, ask, if you do, if you forgot it, ask again, if you forgot a second time, ask a third time. There's nothing worse than simply not knowing a name and never referring to that person by their name. So if you want to lay a good foundation of retention, learn the names of your members, communicate, call them by their name regularly, I think is a huge one to show that there's actual connection there. You are absolutely right, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a bad joke. <laughs> you laughed pretty hard on it. So. Um, and then talking about the why in our workouts, that's one of the things we've always focused on as well is we focus on the points of performance, the how and the what, but we always want to make sure we focus on the why when we're talking about workouts. Why is this going to benefit me? Why is it going to help me with my goals um, and make sure members are bought into that? Absolutely. Uh, social events. This is a big one that we've been kind of talking a lot about over the past couple of weeks and months, um, what to do with our social events, because what we've learned is that, um, I don't want to say forcing, but maybe providing, uh, other opportunities outside the gym for people to get together and be social has had no, no effect either way on churn. It, you know, 
it's great if it's easy to do and people are into it. If you cut it out, no effect. Um, it's just it just kind of exists. Yeah, I mean, my opinion on social events is like social events are typically going to produce like the core really present vocal huge supporters of the gym and those people are going to be that way without social events right so it just kind of self-fulfills that and it doesn't really bring in a new element because we found at least in our community most people are intimidated to go to the events because they don't know anyone and don't really want to take the time to meet people in that type of setting right um i think another thing that we've done that has been a really underrated aspect of it is the fact that like you still respond to what I call like stupid member questions. And like, we joke about this a lot. Like people will email you that like, I can't log into my app. What do I do? Like you're the troubleshooter for that. And we joke about it because like, it drives me nuts that like you're doing that still, but at the same time, you're extremely good at it. It provides a value add to the gym and people love the fact that they're engaging and get dialogue from like the owner of the gym with that kind of stuff. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, put that together with um you know we just give a shit so it's like i want to be that person still because i have the most knowledge on the back end systems um i was the one that implemented and built the app so like i'm the only one you know i, I could teach it relatively yourself. well yeah whatever <laughs> um i i want to be the one that can give a direct um effective response so until we have somebody that can do that i will continue to do it um and the point of that all being is people want answers to their questions and I am that person for the back end stuff. But one of the things that people always talk about loving is they can get an answer to whatever they want to know very easily throughout the gym. And that's whether, you know, it's a personal issue that they want to chat with a coach, um, whether that's something that they need on the back end, whether that's something that they want to know about the science, um, they can get an answer. They know, where to go and they know that they can get that answer quickly. Yeah. I think one of the things you've always done a really good job with also is the tone of your customer service communication. Like you do very well at not taking things personally. Like if we get, you know, bitchy or rude emails from people, like you're extremely good at diffusing it where a lot of owner operators, it's like they take it as an attack on them. So the tone back ends up not resolving anything. Yep. And I think you're just really good at diffusing it. So I think that's a skill that as a gym owner, like you should try to develop or put someone in place who is good at that. Because I, I think it's an easy way to like, you know, very sneakily keep an extra 25, 50 members a year. And that, that adds up to your churn for sure. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, and then the very last thing that we've always focused on with our churn is just our relatability to the general population. We try to be very careful as coaches to not get up there and talk about fitness through the lens of why we like fitness. We want to talk to people who know that like, you know, we know you're intimidated by these lifts. We know you don't do them all the time. We know your goal isn't to squat 300 pounds or run a sub six mile. There are certainly people in the class scattered amongst them, but that's not who we speak to from a group perspective. It's the everyday person who's coming in to feel better, to look better, to perform better, get a little bit of a boost in all those things. So we're really careful to not only construct our workouts with that in mind, but communicate them as we're going through them so that people know when they're in that moment and in that class that we are a gym that relates to what they want to do. Absolutely. Um, And quite honestly, I think that's, if you want, what's separated us from CrossFit over the years, my personal opinion is just that aspect of it. It is using performance tools, but not in a performance voice. 
And I think that's really important concept to understand if you are a CrossFit owner, um, if you do focus on like more of that kind of um, performance-based fitness is using it, but knowing how to speak about it and get people to buy into it. Absolutely. I think that's huge. Um, well, do you have anything else? Nope. Awesome. We'll leave it there. Um, we'll put all this stuff, um, all of our numbers and uh, where they happened among the spectrum of our uh, gym ownership uh, on the show notes. So go check that out. Um, and as always, if you have any questions, uh, shoot us an email. Let us know what you want to learn about and we'll do our best to provide. Guys, real quick, we wanted to tell you about our upcoming Coach Academy. It is June 22nd through 23rd, Saturday and Sunday, here in San Diego, and it'll be at our Crown Point location. We're really excited about this academy because it is the only academy that we're doing this year. We've gone from two down to one, so it is going to be your only opportunity to come in and learn our philosophy on group coaching. Um, we break this down into five segments. We go through coaching communication, we go through coaching cueing, program design, leadership, and development. And we have a bunch of speakers on staff who will be taking us through different segments, as well as breaking down how to communicate the movements and get folks to buy into what you're doing. Uh, if you're interested in this academy and just our coaching content in general, go to www.perform-360.com backslash coach. There you can get all sorts of free content and you can enter in your email address to get early bird enrollment fees and first come notification.